0: Thank you Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wildbo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host, The Sleeper, Scott Daly. Hi. Aw, Sleeper, what's wrong?
1: I just, I just feel like everyone's so concerned about what I am. Nobody ever stops to think about who I am. What are my hobbies, my interests? What's my favorite song, Matt?
0: Don't you, like, kill a whole bunch of
1: people on the reg? I I don't know, Matt. Do I? Do do you know? Does anybody know? Because so far, all I've done is sleep a bunch, and everyone just wants to keep fucking with me.
0: Maybe if people just knew the slightest bit about you. Yeah, that
1: would be really nice, wouldn't it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbow's world of Hollow French toast, precog pissing contests, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week we begin Arc 16 from within with chapters 16.1 and 16.2. In the wake of the teacher raid, a sick Victoria tries to mourn and take care of her team at the same time. This involves spending a lot of time with Kenzie and tacitly approving some shard dimension shenanigans. Also, Rain makes a friend, Tristan and Kenzie have some relationship issues, and Dinah shows up to tell us everything we thought about Contessa is actually wrong. Fuck. Matt, what'd you think of these two chapters?
0: I mean, so we're back at the beginning of an arc, and and this provides us with some cool opportunities to talk about uh you know what, what the art could be doing so that's yeah. always fun and, and as it stands i feel like this is a uh it's kind of back on the pattern the, the, the more typical pattern of how how these arcs begin um the, i think i feel like the last two arcs were pretty unusual ones um and and so that's that's fun i mean if, yeah. if you, it feels to me like we've um that maybe we've begun one big plot movement and we're beginning another big plot movement. Perhaps we're moving into the final plot movement. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the actual chapters themselves, I thought they were really great um, in terms of in terms of touching on a lot of the threads that were left over from the end of ARC 15, where, where we all kind of knew that there were going to be consequences from what happened at the end of ARC 15, and we're seeing... Pretty much all of the consequences you would expect to see play out in in a dramatic and interesting way.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with all that a lot. Um, do you want to speculate on what "from within" means here uh, after two two chapters into our arc?
0: Uh, I mean, so the the obv- the most obvious kind of play on words aspect is that it's light from within, that it's something inside them, and we have this idea of the shard camera that shows, you know, basically it shows Tristan. Which is inside Byron or yeah. or vice versa um they're they're going to be presumably looking inside themselves to find the shards. I mean that's kind of what they tacitly agree to at the end of the second chapter yeah, um that would be my my primary guess. It's always like nine different things, but that would be <laughs> the the kind of the most obvious and most like Textually superficial uh, things that, that I think it's going to be
1: yeah, I agree and, and my initial like split second gut reaction when I heard the title was to go negative with it, you know, mm-hmm. um, like it's just it's just kind of an ominous title um but yeah of course you you then immediately make that the 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 light theme and that is that is showing some strength right the light coming from within but also we've talked about how light how traditionally like light and and those kind of things that we would think as good and and truth and justice and those type of things uh this book can kind of turn on its head sometimes so yeah yeah, I mean we we don't know, but I agree it's it's very interesting. I I I want to go to the positive. I think the the more I think about it, the more I want to be positive, the less I I automatically am negative, but uh I'm excited to see what this cast has in store for us.
0: I think you're exactly right. We should keep in mind that light uh does not have uh, exclusively or even mostly positive connotations.
1: Yes, so. very true. Very true.
0: Cool. All right. So Scott, I think you had an announcement before we start?
1: Yeah, I I launched a new podcast today. Um the today as in the day we're recording this, not the day you're listening to it. It's called mm, Whatcha Say. It's a podcast uh, where my wife and I uh, watch the television show, the teen drama from the year 2003, The O.C. We're watching every single one of the episodes of that show and talking about it. I honestly don't know how much like cross-pollination there's going to be between the people that like uh, Parahumans novels and the people that watch The O.C. But if there's like three of you out there, uh, you should check out that show. I think it's it's funny. It's a lot of fun. If you've ever listened to my- my wife and I do a podcast it's always kind of ridiculous um, so give it a shot you can find that uh, on our website so yeah to
0: it. or you can be one of the one of the people who listens without any understanding of what the <laughs> OC is as sort of a uh, dataist uh, exercise
1: yeah there definitely are those people and do you fascinate me um, so maybe we'll we need to interview some of those people
0: yeah um, yeah, yeah, that should be a segment interview the people where you're like, why are you listening to this? What is wrong with you?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great thing to do to your, to your audience. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, people that, why, why are you doing, stop, stop, stop it.
0: <laughs> All right. Yes. Please go check out mm, what you say. Is, is that, is that what people type in? Mm, what yeah, you say?
1: That is what people type in. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. And there will be links and so forth. There course. will be. Yes. All right. Let's get into 16.1. one. All right. So, the arc begins with Victoria waking up and immediately giving herself a giant paper cut. Uh, <laughs> she's horribly sick and has been sick for five days. And we begin the arc with her rumination on how she's spent these last five days since the end of the last arc. Um, basically, what she's done has been to let herself recover while seeing to one priority each day.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things we've talked about before is how Wildbow kind of stays true to reality with a lot of like the physical maladies that their characters, that his characters go through. Um, and I think that's something that you don't see in books that often. Sometimes I definitely think like books like to focus on like mental things, like characters go through mental trauma and mental issues. And and we usually see how they handle those things, but just like the physical wear and tear of life uh, books tend to skip over a lot. And wild has never done that. And he doesn't do it either here. Uh, Victoria has been pushing herself super strong and, and hard for a while now. And, uh, she's not good. She got an infection and she got sick because of it. Um, and she handles that sickness in just like the quintessential Victoria way, right? It's like, okay, I'm sick. I'll let myself be sick for five days, if, as if that's how it works. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm going to relax. But in my parlance, relax means only do five super important things, uh, not try to do literally everything, uh, which is right. it's just that it's a perfect Victoria type of uh, rationalizing she does to herself.
0: Right. I'm going to recuperate. On day one, I become a foster mother. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's recuperation. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah,
0: so you know the text says nothing about this, but I, I was wondering, like, if, is this connected to when she got the like sickness pulse from uh, the leper, or is this just like, um, I mean, that, that it's, it's possible, right? But 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 yeah. are, are we just to assume like, no, she's just been running herself ragged, she's been trawling around this prison for the the previous arc, to and um and just you're gonna get sick eventually if if, yeah, you're, I mean, if you're treating yourself that way.
1: I mean, lack of sleep. Uh, not great conditions um, serious injuries that are not getting the chance to heal Um, I'm sure I'm sure that that one cape did not help the situation I think it's really just a combination of everything
0: yeah yeah and and I mean she's been basically uh, like accumulating injuries for the whole story (laughs) yeah like like literally like I I think even her like bullet wound from 115 arcs ago is still like kind of giving her trouble you know yeah, yeah that doesn't even bear mentioning anymore though
1: no it doesn't there's so many worse injuries and yeah. and i mean one of the things i like about this is that it, it of course these physical wounds and the sickness match her mental wounds right she's grieving right now she just lost someone very close to her very important to her um and, and she's got all this stuff um she's she's got all this stuff like i mean her ripped off skin that's healing is a constant reminder of amy um and And so like she's just not in a great place yeah um but like one of the things I did notice here speaking of Amy is that she does mention Amy in this chapter, but it is not like it is not in a way that she had been mentioning Amy in the past like Kenzie does something and we'll get to it Kenzie does something and um she recognizes and draws a line between that thing to Amy and it doesn't cause her to spiral down into into Terribleness she just like oh that's concerning So I think like one of the things we're seeing As she recovers and as she heals is that um, She's starting to Kind of scab over on some of her very Very fresh wounds for her from her Interaction with Amy yeah
0: Yeah that's that's true I mean it's also Possible like we know that helping People is one of these things that kind of recharges Her Mm -hmm. and she's been Recuperating and she's also been taking Care of Kinsey for all this time basically And perhaps that is Is helping her you know, internally yeah. in order to grow.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, like one of the things we see is that she's still investigating stuff though. Even her taking off, she's got piles of um, documents on her bed. And the two things that she's looking into right now is everything dragon sent her about the agents. And then we get this weird moment, not weird, but this interesting moment where she has all this information on professor haywire. Uh, this guy that is the the first one to discover the existence of other dimensions. And he kind of went crazy and we learn he's got like multiple personalities and different dimensions and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I was immediately kind of drawn to this as something we're bringing up in the story that feels like we're doing it intentionally, um, that we're reminding the audience that this man exists and that he is part of everything. I mean, it could just be like a throwaway reference, but it didn't feel like that to me.
0: I agree. When I read it, I was thinking like, are we being primed to actually run into Professor Hairwire or Professor Hairwire's technology at some point? Yeah. Um, and, and and you're exactly right that uh, just the way Wildbo does world building and, and the way Victoria is as just being a cape nerd, this could just be a throwaway bit of world building where, sure, sure. I mean, it just makes the world feel real. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if we did. Um, I, I guess at this point I might predict it more likely we're going to like see – his tech than him specifically but it could really go sure. either way yeah. sure yeah yeah so as victoria starts her day we find that Kinsey is staying with her like we said Kinsey being um her day one thing and she reflects on having watched the video of Kinsey reacting to ashley's death
1: oh, my God. which is
0: described in detail and it's just gutting
1: yeah, I mean, I I got like I immediately went into grief mode all over again, right? It had been a week since I read this book. I had like I had almost a week to process the death of one of my favorite characters in the story and how sad I was about it. Um, and then I opened up this book and immediately were hit with this image of Kenzie like just losing it because of the death, and it just wrecks you. Yeah. Um. I, I love I love this scene generally so much. This like this early morning scene, like. It's just we're seeing like Victoria is taking care of Kenzie the best way she can. She's indulging her a little bit. There's those half eaten ice cream cones everywhere. She's falling on the couch, falling asleep on the couch, rolled up in a burrito. There's a lot of detail here about the food that's being made, like this little this wonderful, charming detail about um, how Victoria never thought of making challah bread into French toast and how good it actually is. Like all this kind of like this mundane detail that reminds you that like, while these people are parahumans, they process grief and and they mourn like any human does. Right. Like they, they they process their emotions in the same way that that we do. And it's, I, I like this moment of kind of bringing, bringing everything down to this, this small intimate moment between two of our characters. Um, And it's, it's powerful. I
0: really like it. Yeah yeah there's almost nothing you know uh human ab- about the beginning of this chapter yeah. it's just you know it the, in, in a cinematic sense it's all it's all just in this kind of homey environment two people having breakfast together very very mundane tasks
1: yeah and um, and I think Kenzie's use of uh tech to kind of take the tv screen and throw it out on the wall almost interjects in this very homey mundane scene right like yeah um no power is being used I like the beat at the very beginning of this chapter opens that Victoria gets up and forces herself to, to not fly to get up to stand up she makes herself do it manually and so yeah it is this kind of uh, not necessarily jarring, but like it, this it's just like, oh yeah, powers are a thing, and that's going to be a whole issue, right? Like it just kind of like runs into the scene.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because if I had flight, I would literally never uh, get out of bed under my own sure. power. Sure, yeah, it would it would always be flying.
1: Can we just talk about Tattletale hugging Kenzie as she sobs? Yeah. I, just, I don't even have anything specific right. to say about that other than it's just a wonderful moment that is like so like it's a wonderful moment of of kindness that tells us so much about Tattletale. I I just love it. I love it so much.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a wonderful storytelling touch because clearly we've been building this thing throughout the story of Tattletale having this it, it seems it seems strange to call it a complicated relationship with Kenzie because they, I don't like they've barely talked really. But but I think I would it's say true. it's complicated. Yeah. Like, like I think it's complicated in the same way. That, like Tattletail sees a lot of herself in Kinsey's problems, and um, you, you know, is uniquely suited to see all the downsides of of who she is. Yeah. But also is is I don't know. She she seems to have either come around or just kind of its it, proximity has has activated her more nurturing instincts and.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I guess her 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 lens like has opened up a little bit and let more people in it. Right. Like like at the very beginning of the story, she was very focused on her people and her people only. And the, the reason why she immediately didn't like Kenzie and didn't really want Kenzie around was because it, it, it represented a threat to chicken little, which is her like primary concern. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this shows, um, some, some, you know, cooling of that a little bit. Like yeah. she's she's let down that guard a little bit, and yeah. I mean, she didn't have to hug her here. And and you could argue, I guess, if you wanted to, that this was just a a stopgap to make sure she doesn't go crazy and hurt and like do anything bad. But I don't think so. No, I, like,
0: I, I yeah, I don't think so. That's just, that doesn't sound like a a move she would make. Like she's sure. she's a very st- she's, she's a standoffish arms length type of person. Like she's maybe I, I can only ever remember her hugging. Like Taylor like one, once or twice. Yeah, yeah, and that's like her closest person <laughs> right and and so it, it just it feels genuine and heartfelt and it feels like she's You know the normally snarky and dismissive person is 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 actually sympathizing with her loss here
1: Yeah, I mean we have to remember hugging is a, a Thing for Kenzie, right? Yeah, um, and, and what I like about it is in this moment I'd never like there's been times in the past when I've seen people hug Kenzie and I'm I'm like torn between. Oh, good. She really needed that. And uh, oh, no, this is bad. And there was none of that in this moment. It's just like, you know, even even with your rules, there are times when you just need someone to hug you. Yeah. Right. Like so. And I, and I think that that was this moment.
0: Yeah. I kind of want to reference the the recent video game God of War here. But instead of instead of re- referencing it specifically, I'll just say. It's always a really effective technique when you have a character who's very stoic and and not emotive and doesn't tell you what they're thinking who then sort of suddenly displays a lot of heartfelt empathy um it's It's like uh it it really it really is, connects to you I think better than it would if it was a character who just sort of habitually was was good at expressing themselves
1: so what you're saying is Lisa looked at at Kenzie and said, "Boy, hug me,
0: yeah." I think that's exactly that's exactly what I'm going for there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Boy. Um so I kind of wish I had made this a formal prediction previously, but I do remember seeing a lot of comments over the last couple of weeks that were basically about things that were quote unquote missing from the climactic battles that we that we saw in the last few chapters. Mm-hmm. And I always just assumed that those things weren't missing, that we were just going to effectively see or hear about those scenes later. In contexts that worked just as well or better Um, and see what's happening here with Victoria recounting the video footage uh, is basically that like basically why punch us in the face with the sad moments over and over and over like in sequence until you become numb when you can kind of bottle up those sad moments and then use them to better and more precise effect later on yeah I mean so like this is a story about recovery more than it is a story about trauma so we didn't show the scene at the moment of the trauma we're we're basically saving the scene about the tragic loss and repurposing it in context of a scene about grieving where, where grieving is part of recovery
1: yeah yeah I, I I really love that I really love that and I totally agree I think that was a really great the way you describe that I, I love a lot um and and it's I like It's not to downplay Ashley's death here because I love Ashley and I'm going to miss her terribly. But like the important part for the story now is is how what how the people she leaves behind react to that. And I like that we separated those moments. I like that. Like we talked about last week, we talked about Ashley's death and what that meant, you know, uh, for her arc and her character and who she was and who she was trying to be. Um, And I like that that moment and Kenzie's reaction to it got to be separate. Like I specifically like I had I had a part in the script originally where I was like, let's talk about how Kenzie's going to react to this. And I think while we were talking about Ashley, I deleted that from the script because I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to make the have those two conversations occur at the same time. And I'm glad and I'm glad the book did the same thing. Basically, the book says, okay, let's give Ashley her death and then we'll talk about it we'll talk about how the other characters react to it later and later is now we're here now. And and that's what we're going to start doing. And that's what the thrust of these chapters is going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, speaking of other scenes that, that were quote unquote missing, like what happened to mama Mathers, I'm sure we'll find out more about kind of exactly how that situation went down. And if we don't find out more about it, it's probably because it wasn't that, uh important yeah. <laughs> you know like like it's not resolved and it'll be resolved later and then that'll sure. be the time when we actually see what happens
1: yeah i mean i i i went back and listened to our conversation about that and i think i i managed to convince myself of of the technique that that happened in that chapter like mm-hmm. even more so like i th- i think the decision to pull away from our characters to be out of their heads to be in the heads of all these these bad people and and not resolve all that thing was a very specific choice that i think added to Uh, Just how kind of whirlwind and crazy the end of that uh, scene was. And now in the aftermath, we're going to take time to really dig into what what all this means now.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. So going back to Kenzie, um, she does actually seem to be dealing with grief in a healthy way. Uh, And I think as we'll see over the course of these two chapters, it it seems like she's having a harder time getting her head around the quote unquote betrayal uh, of the chicken tenders than she is in dealing with Ashley's death. I mean she's yeah. obviously hurt by Ashley's death, but yeah. but it's that's almost a more simple kind of pain than than what she's struggling with with her friends. Victoria's Victoria herself kind of highlights this for us. She says, I have no fucking clue how I should read the things like Kenzie crying and sobbing instead of smiling, or her getting angry in a way that showed like here or with Chris. Was that growth, genuine and healthy displays of emotion or was it worrying because she was getting upset and ranting a bit that she was grieving or that her emotions were running this high? Yeah. So, you know, we're we're uncertain, too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the eternal Kenzie question. Right. Is like the question that you and I have been wrestling with throughout the course of this book. And I think most of the readers have is like, how worried about Kenzie should I be? I don't know and i think i think victoria is basically verbalizing that same thought that same uncertainty and it makes sense that we are uncertain when our point of view character is as uncertain as we are right um and yeah i'm i'm inclined to agree with you that she seems to be doing okay all things considered, but I don't know what to make of that. Right. I don't know what to make of that. I I think perhaps the fact that she always kind of felt like Ashley was going to leave her. This is a, a thing that she echoed multiple times. Whenever Ashley would say, I'm not going anywhere. She would say, I was like, well, you could like, you don't, you don't know for sure. You left once before. Um, and, and her manner of abandonment with what the chicken nuggets do to her is much more specific to her specific kind of trauma. Than Ashley's like like they they chose to do what they did like she's it's her fault she scared them away Ashley Ashley didn't choose to leave her right like Ashley was taken from her so it's a little different but on the other hand I do think you can make the argument that she's pushing her grief grief about Ashley and losing Ashley into her feelings about the chicken tenders, right? Like she's taking that, that pain and that anger and pushing them into these people. Um, so she doesn't have to focus on Ashley, which that's not healthy. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And I mean just, and I kind of forgot about this until this moment, but the actual chronology is that, um, she read all of the documents about what the chicken tenders had said about her and is, is completely reeling, And, and head fucked by that. And then in, in that already highly, highly disturbed mental state is when Ashley actually dies. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's, that, that's kind of, that kind of makes that make sense a bit to to me. Like it makes sense why those things would be a bit inextricable in her mind. Yeah. Like she's already feels like she's lost her friends and then, and then one of her, one of her best friends dies while she's already in that state. Um, sucks.
1: It really does suck. It's awful. Yeah. I feel so bad for Kenzie. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I mean, like, like eternally worried about her. Yeah. Um. Even even, even in these moments where I see something good and w- that we're going to get to in a bit Um. right now, actually, I still I still worry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we see that Kenzie did actually try to make a hologram of Ashley, but she gave up on it because it wasn't quite right. Uh, unfortunately this is exactly part of Kenzie's old pattern of trying to kind of keep people around yeah. uh, either with chatbots or holographic memory recreations or what have you um but I guess the fact that she abandoned it is good I guess I guess
1: Yeah I mean Victoria like we said earlier Victoria connects this uh this thing of hers, this didn't get it quite right. She draws a line directly to Amy um, and what Amy did to her. So uh, because of that connection that our point of view character makes, this conversation doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth. Right. But, but that could be more about Victoria's ongoing issues than it is about Kenzie specifically. Right. I believe Kenzie here when she says she's not going to work on it anymore, she's going to stick to old projects. Um, And I think that's just because I don't think Kenzie lies Very often like I don't think she tells Outright lies she does lies of omission She's secretive she hides things from people But I don't think she outright Says says something and then the Opposite of what she says is true Yeah so I believe her here So that, that is good
0: I mean honestly I think that my Maybe this is overly simplistic but my Take about what's going on with her right now Is is that she Actually has made a lot of real progress Sure but because she's just been completely, you know, devastated by this series of losses and these losses, at at least some of them stem from her perception, you know, basically the perception that, that her friends don't think she's made any progress. She doesn't think she's made any progress and now she's really down on herself and thinks that she's worthless and unlovable. And really the problem is that her friends are uh, preteens
1: yeah and like I, I think my favorite line in the next chapter is cool people can be wrong mm. and do messed up stuff still like like mm. that, that especially when they're young and still tr- struggling to figure themselves out yeah um, yeah. And I, yeah yeah I love it
0: I think that's yeah that's a good point we can return to that line of thought when we get to the next chapter where they're talking about that
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So for now, they they fly over the city heading to visit Byron and we get uh, caught up on the state of the city here. We see the Megalopolis is being evacuated again and people aren't too happy about it. Um, I mean, understandably, right? Like this whole story has been just this crushing, grinding, uh, soul harrowing ordeal for the people of the city. And now they're having to evacuate. So, yeah, it's extremely demoralizing.
1: I love that Victoria says we didn't even name it. We never even gave it a name. Was it was it just because we knew we knew this was going to be the end that we were going to end up leaving it, having to abandon it? Yeah, that's it's really rough. Right. Um, I want to. Yeah, I want to talk about the flying, though, because I I do like this as like a very, you know, subtextual callback to very early in the story. Right. Where Victoria, um, you know, went to the hospital and helped kids out by giving them just that she'd fly them around and make them feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. And. That's how Victoria gathers strength when she's down, is she helps people out. Specifically, she does this this flying thing for kids. And that's what she knows. That's how she gathers strength. And so it's this really great little moment that calls back to that when she's like, I I am suffering. This kid's suffering. This is what I can do, so I'm gonna do it. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: it's beautiful. I agree. Yeah.
1: But yeah, the city, we're it's rough. It's in the middle of winter and we're having to evacuate, right? Yeah. Um I, I think there was one thing that I really like connected here and you pulled you pulled a quote from Glowworm in the discord um you were talking about something completely different <laughs> but you pulled this one quote and and it actually like I think ties into exactly what's happening here right the, the, it ties into the anger a little bit here um So it's someone talking to, as it turns out is Victoria on the message boards that say, I agree for the most part point at, but it's more complicated than that. I got a side with Bodie. We made a covenant with the capes. We put up with a lot in exchange. They were supposed to protect us. It's pretty clear. They didn't, maybe it was impossible. That's fine, but let's not ignore the fact that they broke their end of the contract. And then he goes on to say, um, less communication, no oversight is what's happening now. And, this was a, a bit ago but it's the same thing here right the capes once again have failed to protect them quote unquote um, they're evacuating again they're not telling them why they they can't like really explain why they're doing it it's just like something bad's going to happen you got to get out of here um, the oversight is by completely by capes like there's no yeah. it, it's it's the same it's the same kind of thing people right. were complaining about only now it's winter and you're being told you got to leave your your home
0: yeah. I mean, it, there was a lot of great language in, in that chapter in particular. People were accusing the Capes of being aloof, yeah. not giving information. The same exact thing is happening here. Um, and, and yeah, like so many of the plot lines of this story have revolved around like, yeah, you know, uh, these people have worked really hard to build their own homes in exchange for some ownership rights of those homes. And now they don't want to leave the the area. Or, or or like, yeah, we're negotiating for supplies from these guys to build stuff here and, and to have food. And it's like, yeah, all of the resources that you have scrounged for two years yeah. to, to build a, a survivable habitat in this area, you're going to have to leave all that now yep. and start over again with nothing again. um And I mean... If anything, I, I expect, like, just a complete societal meltdown at this point. Like, yeah. f- forget the forget the villains. <laughs> I expect people to, like, the people to just fucking go Mad Max
1: by oh, themselves, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. It's very hard to convince people at this point that, like, no, we're doing this. We have your best interest at heart, even if it's true. And it is true. But, yeah, I mean, you can understand why these people are frustrated. and And I think the thing that I like about this is... The book does not leave this as this very high level, broad concept. Um, we kind of shrink down and, and take this this idea of evacuation into our main characters and the things they're going through. Right. Because Victoria ha- is going to have to evacuate her home, too. And we get this moment where Kenzie's like, can we bring stuff with us? Because there's a bunch of Ashley stuff that I want to bring. And that connects the evacuation to the, the suffering and the mourning of our characters. And I think that's really smart because it, it's not broad. It's not this nameless populace is is angry. Like we understand it through our character's point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It anchors it, right? I mean, the story is covering so many different ideas that it actually is important that if you want to actually feel that, then you need to connect it to our actual characters in some yeah. way. And
1: yeah. the thing that I really like about this is like Kenzie like looks down and sees And all these people, and she's like, they're so angry. Like, why don't they just, like, prepare instead of being angry? And Victoria, in this moment, is like, nah, I get it. Like, she's totally understanding of what these people are going through. Um, And I think that's really interesting because she's, at times, been frustrated with the non-capes and how they're reacting to certain things and how they're making things harder and more complicated for people who are just trying to help them. But in this moment, she's like, nah, I get this, like... The, the, like I totally understand these people just want uh they they just want one one place where there won't be a world-ending threat every few years mm-hmm. um yeah. and like I I I think that's really fascinating. I really like I really like seeing Victoria like get getting to a point where it's like I get it. I get it. I know why I know exactly why they're so angry with us.
0: That's true because even in that Lorem chapter she was basically reacting with defensiveness and frustration. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's always been some level of understanding, but yeah, at at this point, she doesn't even have a hint of that defensiveness anymore. She's just like, Yeah. yeah, this really sucks.
1: Well, and I think it's because she agrees with them because she's she's really downtrodden and disappointed, too. Like throughout both of these chapters, we see her just like, I can't believe we're just going to have to abandon this. All this thing, all these things that we've done, all the work that we put in, we just have to leave it behind. And we know from, you know, her point of view that that was one of the things that really, really frustrated her back in Brockton Bay, that she felt like she wasn't making any progress. And that's kind of what led to her the slow ramp up of force that she was just getting so frustrated. So this is, you know, triggering in her a very specific memory to that time.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And and that that memory of of the the potential abandonment of Brockton Bay is going to be something that's brought up again in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So they head to the bunker, uh through the bunker to teachers captured headquarters.
1: So what do you think about this? <laughs> because like, I think practically it makes a whole bunch of sense, right? Like here's all this space. There's all these utilities and facilities there that we can use. Why not use them? But like symbolically I'm talking like, like yeah. extra textually. What, it's like? We're having this, like this, these people in, inhabiting this base that belonged to a group that made bad choices in the name of goodness uh, and then was taken over by another group who did the same thing. And now the wardens are there. I mean, does that predict a similar path?
0: I wasn't thinking about it on that level necessarily. I I did notice that, that this is the former cauldron headquarters, former teacher headquarters, and they're not even calling it new wardens headquarters, right? They're just like, this is basically office space for whoever is, whoever is, uh, it, it has had the muscle to take it at this exact moment in time. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, unfortunately I do see, I do see this pattern here, this idea that basically the wardens are sort of taking on this role of being the ones who are going to have to make the tough calls, right? Cause they're, sure. they're already starting to, they're, they're, they're forcing the evacuation. Um, you know, I'm not actually clear if it's an evacuation from Gimel or just an evacuation from the vicinity of the megacity. city. Um, yeah. Because I don't know where they're evacuating to, so I don't, I don't know. I thought
1: there were other. I thought they mentioned tent cities in other. I I assumed other worlds, but I actually don't. I actually can't back that up. Um,
0: Yeah, I I just realized that. I just didn't even realize I wasn't sure about that until now. But but yeah, basically, um, they they literally are like you said, taking on this role of of uh, I guess making the utilitarian choice of of making a bunch of people suffer in, in order to save them from. Uh, being eaten by interdimensional monsters. So yeah, and I,
1: I wonder if the story is commenting on this general idea that the second you, you position yourself to fill that void, um, you start becoming the type of person who makes those choices and what that says, you know, like, cause, yeah. I mean, like the, the, some of the high level people in the wardens are some of the quote unquote best humans, mm-hmm. uh, that exist in, in the Cape right? Like we have mm-hmm. Miss militia there. We have Chevalier. We love these guys. Um, I wonder what we're saying. I don't know. I don't know. Right. I
0: mean, yeah, it's uh to, to, to butcher what Contessa said, like when 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 you're the one who's forced to make the calls, all you have is ugly trade offs.
1: Sure. That's yeah.
0: that's sort of true on a level whether or not you have the certainty that she has. Yeah. Um if you just have enough information that can be true. Yeah, you know? yeah. Interesting, very interesting. So yeah. they run into Defiant in the elevator as they make their way in and i mean this whole chapter is just about making us love this guy right yep <laughs> um she, she shows him some tinker tech that she's been working on uh victoria looks at it and says not a cube huh it is she said she's right it is a cube defiant said while investigating the thing that was wasn't a cube
1: <laughs> i love that yeah fucking tinkers man it's awesome um yeah i i i really love this moment i mean we're going to talk about this whole elevator conversation for a bit but like i this this moment specifically shows to me that Defiant and then also Dragon can be a person and can can fulfill a role in Kenzie's life that Victoria cannot, right? Like they they have They have specific knowledge and specific awareness of Kenzie and part of Kenzie's life that Victoria just cannot understand and and understandably so. And so like I I love this as uh, like this ongoing kind of implication that Dragon and Defiant could maybe be the exact kind of family she could really use. Um, People that understand her on her tinkering level uh, will see through Defiant a person that understands her on her past mistakes and that level as well. Um, It's really interesting and I like it a lot.
0: Yeah, and and her proclivity for making AIs will be very handy in in her relationship with them. Um,
1: They're not Dragon. AIs, Matt. The text told, uh, yeah. Victoria that, and therefore us.
0: We didn't we didn't call that out, but that was that was great.
1: This is um, a great indication of the author talking to his audience.
0: Yeah, I mean, but it's I mean, while it was a bit funny on that level, it's also quite credible that Kenzie would be like stop hassling me about that yeah I'm, I'm embarrassed about it already
1: i just made a chat bot yeah no one no one thinks smart chat is an ai
0: <laughs> yet <laughs> um uh so is it weird that i'm much more on kenzie's side in terms of worrying that the multi-dimensional space monster is going to reach through the glass uh, if, she, if she tries to take a picture because defiant just dismisses this as a concern
1: yeah, I, I I, don't know. I mean, Defiant has kind of earned our trust, right? So, like, if he says it's fine, I kind of think it might be fine. Um, but I, I I do agree with you that, like, there could... I mean, like, I think what we're doing here is we're setting up this long game of the the type of exploration that Breakthrough is going to be doing could uh, blow up in their faces in very, very bad ways. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's okay to feel that way. Um,
0: yeah. I guess the only like the counter argument that springs to mind is that the shards are so like single-minded and kind of like, you know, Valkyrie has said, like they kind of become the masks they wear. Like it it might not even occur to them that, that they, uh, I don't know how to phrase it exactly. Like that they can take advantage of this thing. Yeah. Like they, they, they tend to, they seem to think so much in terms of their actual powers that like they don't act like interdimensional shards anymore. They act like the power Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. Yeah. And then Defiant goes on to say that he considers Kenzie a friend.
1: Yeah. And to loop back to what you were talking about earlier, she pushes back on this really hard. Right. She's like, you don't want to be my friend. You don't want to be my teammate. If you knew the things I do, I did. You wouldn't want anything to do with me. I wreck everything. It's it's her grief and her doubt and all this stuff showing up here. And I love that Defiant in this moment refuses to back down on this point he's like i've seen your record i know exactly what you've done i still would want to be your teammate i still consider you a friend um like i he he identifies with her he explains how the the mistakes he made and how the the difficulty having friends he had and i I just it's it's really wonderful
0: yeah yeah it's it's very heartwarming um Mm -hmm. you know like it's a very it's a, the beginning of this chapter is extremely Kinsey heavy and actually overall this, this whole arc so far is, is, is very Kinsey heavy. Um yeah. Just pointing that out. I mean it's it's kind of obvious, but it's becoming even more obvious as we as we go through this. Sure. Yeah. Um so the conversation with Defiant actually jumps across a lot of topics and serves as quite a good info dump. Uh, I was very surprised during my note taking, like to to find out how long it is. Like the first time I read it, I just <laughs> devoured it and it, it didn't feel long at all. But when I went back through it, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is a nice kind of, um, you know, good, good, long, solid conversation full of information that we didn't know. And uh, and we didn't even know that we desperately needed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some exposition backfilling here where Defiant explains where the hell dragon was during the entire teacher raid uh, and therefore where he was as well. And I I mean, I like that as just information that it's good to know. But I also think it's like really great. It's a really great way to remind us of who Defiant is and how different from Armsmaster he is, because he says like after Saint did some bullshit that messes with dragon and dragon has to back down he says i could have gone ahead and cut my way through an army of people who only committed the crime of getting brainwashed but i thought it better to support my team my wife and force him to keep committing forces and that is like such such a fundamental change i mean we knew this already right we knew that defiant is fundamentally a, a almost completely different person than arms master was at the beginning of worm but this almost serves to just remind you of that fact right like I could have gone in. I could have tried to be the hero. I could have tried to be the one that wins the day for my people, but I didn't want to kill people. Uh, I, I thought it better to support the team. I thought it better to support my wife. Um, did we know they were married by the way? I don't, know I, if we knew I that. don't remember exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. Like I, and, and I think we are doing an important thing here, right? You, you hinted towards it earlier. We are going out of our way throughout this chapter to paint defiant, in this light of, this guy's a really good dude. He's he's so much better. He's great. Remember how great he is? And then we're going to kind of attack that uh, with Victoria's decision at the end of the chapter.
0: Yeah. So we finally make it to the other team members. Vista and Rain are hanging out with Byron as he heals. And Tristan is apparently giving Byron extra time to heal. Mm-hmm. Eventually we'll learn that their typical pattern is a bit messed up now. Because Byron is sufficiently injured that he's not necessarily aware and and conscious when he's phased out, meaning that Tristan doesn't have anybody looking over his shoulder, which is kind of freaks him out when we when we do talk to him in a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kenzie then uses her not a cube to finally let Tristan (laughs) have at least some ability to act within the phantom dimension.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really that's really great. He can't speak yet, but uh, we're getting there. We're close, right? Uh Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been we've I don't remember when this was first mentioned, the possibility of her working on the Capricorn cam, um, but we've been waiting for it for for a long time.
1: Yeah. And then we get, I think, the most important line in the chapter to me uh, with this this Tristan by relationship is where Tristan says that makes the first time in years he's not looking over my shoulder. Tristan said sounding awed or stunned or horrified, if not all three. Maybe that's a good thing. Vista says. Maybe Tristan says and uh, oh my god the the implications of this are huge because there's like I feel like there's there's uh, specifically textually there's three different emotions going on in Tristan at the same time but the richness of each of them is so fascinating to me because on one level you know he feels relief right like there's got to be some relief there and then there's got to be some guilt about feeling relieved there but then also. You you get the feeling that they've been this way for a while that he's so used to him being there that the absence of this person uh Really affects him and all these things are kind of like contradictory emotions, but they're all there and I just love it I love the idea of that
0: Yeah, the idea that he'd be horrified is interesting because like you you would you would kind of knee-jerk expect that he'd be Thrilled at the idea of, of not having byron over his shoulder, but it's one of those things where I suspect that after doing it for so long you get used to yeah. and even come to incorporate into your thinking this idea that somebody else is kind of spotting you. Yeah. Um Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting that the, the complexity of the reaction,
1: especially from Tristan as a person we'll see in the next chapter is a guy that is still working on trusting himself. Like it is, is like, kind of terrified he'll fall back into the the same pattern that led to what he did to Byron um and and so trusting himself is a serious issue he has so now yeah he doesn't have that that guy looking over his shoulder making sure that he's behaving the way he should be um and yeah i i it's 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 so complicated it's so rich i i feel so bad for both of the brothers especially Byron right now i can't imagine like i mean he's mostly unconscious so i guess it's not as like existentially horrifying for him but just like We do learn later that he's had brain trauma and like it's just it's it's awful in the best narrative ways, you know,
0: (laughs) right? Yeah, let's talk for a bit about Byron having brain trauma. Sure, because first of all, we had another character recently who was described uh, as having brain trauma. I guess not that recently, but there was a character a while back who had brain trauma and her 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 whole personality changed and Mm -hmm. it was actually someone that Vista new. Um, so having Vista here is actually a bit of a, uh, explicit connection to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, we, we talked about brain trauma and personality change, personality change, personality shift, the liminality of personhood have been things that we've been talking about throughout the <laughs> sure. story. There's also the idea that a shard is brain trauma. I mean, it's something that stabs you in the brain and changes things. Um, and of course, in a very real sense, all trauma is brain trauma because, that's where the trauma happens.
1: True. Very existential of you. <laughs> um yeah, I mean I I love this idea. I love the idea that like is his personality going to change? Like the, the implications of that are really fascinating to me because yeah. we kind of we've kind of seen that while the Capricorn brothers are of course not great and they're never going to be perfect as long as they still have to exist in a world in which only one of them can exist at one time, they have been making progress. And there's been there's been serious, like good steps. Yeah. But Byron's personality changes. What does that mean? What does that mean for their equilibrium? How much does that throw it off? Um, I don't know that the implications of that are are terrifying.
0: Yeah. I don't want to think about that. It's upsetting. Yeah. I just want them to be happy.
1: Plus, I mean, that's like, you know, talking about personhood, like I don't like. Is that is he fundamentally not Byron anymore? I don't know. Like, right. Like, it's just like (laughs) brain trauma is the worst.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, So Defiant speaks up when they mention the possibility of using Kenzie's shard cam to influence the shards. Too dangerous. Obviously, yes. Uh, Breakthrough tacitly agrees that they're um, uh, they're going to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, the, basically they're saying they're going to try to fuck around in Rain's dream room, right? Like, yeah. Rain specifically said when he saw the door that he sees it every night in his dream room. And it's like, oh, that's the way. That's the way into into Shard World. Well, let's do it. And yeah, and Defiant is just like, no, that's a fucking terrible idea. Don't do that. I don't even trust Dragon with that kind of power. Yeah, um, and, and, and again, I think this circles back to what we've been doing for the entire chapter is setting up Defiant as good guy, really helping out our characters, really cares about people, cares about Kenzie doing the right thing for her, really working at being better. And so we, when you establish this character as this guy, this kind of beacon of, of goodness, and then you have this beacon of goodness, tell your characters, don't do the thing. And then the characters go, oh, we're going to do the thing, though. Um, the result there is, is a feeling of unease and ominousness, right? That, that this is not a good direction our characters are heading in.
0: Right. I mean, because honestly, you might just be kind of excited and psyched if you didn't have this very competent and knowledgeable yeah. voice there to be like, no, please, yeah. please don't.
1: And it, it, it falls into it falls into one of the things that I love about Victoria as a character. I mean, like this is specifically, you know, tying into a lot of her personality traits, one of them being the scholar, the person that wants to know. Right. And we'll see. In the next chapter, she lines up one of the things she wants most of all is answers. And and so now we're seeing how this personality trait that is, you know, is a good thing to have being a being a studious scholarly person that wants to find things out and wants to discover things and what they mean and what they're for is a good thing. But I mean, when you have characters in a story, you want to build conflict around who they are. And so this is a way of taking that personality trait and maybe pushing it to a place where it gets that it gets not not the way to react, that, that your your quest for answers is is so powerful that you push on in a place where maybe you shouldn't.
0: Yeah, she's so excited to see if they can, that uh, she's not going to stop and think if they should.
1: Wow. Perfect.
0: To paraphrase uh, Ian Malcolm.
1: <laughs> I think everyone knew. I think everyone knew who you Just, were paraphrasing. I, <laughs> you guys you, know. uh, you guys seen that uh, that Jurassic Park? Yeah, seen
0: uh, you should check it out if you yeah. haven't seen Jurassic Park. a little
1: Park. known, little known '90s film.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an old, it's an old movie.
1: It's a vintage, vintage yeah. '90s film.
0: Yeah. All right, let's move on into chapter sixteen point two. All right. We catch up with breakthrough in a big multi-team meeting with the former uh, in in sorry in the former teachers HQ. We're still there. Um, and yeah, we kind of already talked about this idea, but just this fact that. This this same location has changed hands several times and simultaneously the populace is being forced to evacuate their evacuation refuge. Yeah, Um, it's kind of this like people people are continually moving through spaces and and out of spaces and um, I I don't know what to make of it. It's just something that I kind of caught, caught, caught on to. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, what 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 your reference to it here did for me is kind of realize this this idea that we've talked about before, that that worm is a story that deals with cycles. Right. I mean, textually, the, the shard cycle, uh, subtextually, the, the trauma as a cyclical thing. Right. And so now we thought at the end of worm that we killed sci- We killed the bad guys. Um, we won. We broke the cycle. Um, and now we're kind of seeing things kind of fall back into familiar patterns, right? Where, where the cyclical nature of, of of things seems to be happening again, and that's a cause of concern. I don't it's really know, interesting. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like I, it.
0: I was kind of trying to make a little analog to like when they were on bet, it was gestation. When they're on gemel, it's migration. I don't know. <laughs> the, 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 I don't know where to go. I was trying to predict what the next what the next uh, movement is going to be based yeah. on that, but it's not so it's not so easy.
1: I mean, the problem is migrations already an arc name. So.
0: I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Naphtha is the cape leading this discussion, and uh, he just has this endless list of situations that need help, um, and he's just kind of offering them to the heroes on a first come first serve basis. You get the idea that there's just so much going on that they're and, and they're basically in this this chronic triage mode now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's got this oil slick power that makes everything around him like slippery and gross and he can't turn it off and it's gross and cool at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if he couldn't turn it off or Or just I, chose it, not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it, it seems like he well, it seems like it like doesn't stick to things once he's moved away from them. So yeah, it there's no nothing. real downside. But yeah. yeah except it was, it's
1: yeah. grody looking.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I thought it I thought it looked cool. Um <laughs> I thought it looked cool in my imagination where I saw it. Maybe your imagination just didn't render it correctly.
1: I mean, does it make everything around him like super slippery?
0: I thought, I mean, I I I was visualizing like a black but like also iridescent uh, oil coating.
1: Yeah, but that's slippery.
0: That's awesome though.
1: I don't want to just like be walking around a hallway and then pass a guy in a hall and go, whoop.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. know. (laughs) You you and I are such different people, Scott. Apparently. Um, (laughs) So we're reminded that Rune, aka Scribe, Uh, Is on one of the hero teams that that are present. Vicky's still being understandably hard on her, but I honestly can't say that her perspective has, you know, changed that much since last time. I mean, nope. I think we're going somewhere with the rune thing, though. We we do get we do get this line a bit later on in the chapter where Victoria thinks maybe I wasn't, uh, yeah, maybe I wasn't being unfair. Fuck, I really didn't like her. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, so just, just not a, not a lot of movement on this one.
1: No, but we're hitting this beat enough times to where you, you can start to confidently say this will, uh, resolve in some way eventually. I I think you're absolutely right. And this is, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because basically what's happening here is, um, they, they say someone needs help. There's, there's people who will help and someone cries, cries out, um, what kind of non-English speakers are they? <laughs> yeah. And Naphtha is like, does that matter? Um, and of course, this person who asked that is, is a former uh, and possibly current uh, racist asshole. And so the implication of that doesn't sound too good, does it? And And Victoria sees that that scribe doesn't say anything, doesn't like rise up and like shoot down her person that's making this potentially racially motivated comment um, and and that as a person who was a part of a, a a super racist gang and ideology in Victoria's mind, it's not enough to just leave that you have to like prove regularly that you have left that ideology behind by uh, speaking up against it when you hear it um, and because she's not doing that she's it's all bullshit um and, and I, I definitely understand that line of thinking right I definitely understand the idea that like, Hey, when you you like should be, you should be a a a beacon of, um, a beacon of hope, right? Change, change, yeah, change, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, one thing that's kind of incredible about the story is that, is that this story doesn't repeat itself. Like, like we we we've seen a bunch of different instances of. Victoria accounting uh, encountering someone from either her past or or someone who fits this role of being sure. um someone who has sinned, someone who has done something terrible um perhaps even crossed her line of what she would consider, you know, unforgivable. And then eventually all eventually those those relationships evolve. But the thing is they don't they don't evolve in the same way they always evolve in a very um in a very different way depending on the person and depending on kind of the details of it right it, it this isn't just a story of like victoria repeatedly learning the same lesson with 18 different characters sure. as as she's like oh I, sh- I guess i shouldn't judge people no it's yeah. it's always it's always an interesting investigation into the ideas of forgiveness and guilt and and recovery and the possibility of of redemption um, that, that is fresh every time because it's always teaching you something new about human yeah. nature. And that's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you messaged me about this particular instance earlier today where you were just like, Hey, uh, couldn't the guy just mean what language do they speak? Because if I don't speak that language, it's going to make helping them a lot harder. And Victoria just sees this person as next to scribe a suit, like attaches racist motivation to it and then punishes her for not speaking up against something she's attached to it like right i mean that is yeah. definitely a possibility right. in this scenario
0: i didn't want to go too galaxy brain on the story but <laughs> but but like that's that's kind of the first place i went is like oh like it's entirely possible they were just like oh yeah we have a multilingual multilingual person on the team and it would be good to know if if we know those languages and then we could help save them more easily if they sure. speak our language sure. and, it, and it's like yeah i don't know that's that's kind of a, a, a bizarre stretch but 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 also it's fun to imagine that maybe Victoria's just dead wrong on, you know, the the motivation behind this statement.
1: Well, I mean, we do see a, I think the, I think the thing that supports this to me is, is later in the chapter we see Scribe is talking to her group and she's like doing this like broom floaty trick. And Mm -hmm. like, and and I think Victoria comments on how she's talking only loud enough to where the people immediately around her can hear. Mm -hmm. And she gets mad at her because of that. (laughs) And she's like, well, I mean, we're just talking to ourselves too, but we're not being that quiet. And I was like, What? (laughs) And she, I mean, even in that moment, she like realizes she's being absurd. Right. Like she says, she says, oh, maybe I am being too harsh on her. And then like scribe looks at her and rolls her eyes and she's like, nope, not too harsh. Fuck her. Hater. Yeah, Um, it it is. I think I think that read of the non-English speakers thing supports what I see in Victoria as a little bit of presumption on unreasonableness when it comes to this character.
0: Yeah, I mean it'll be really interesting. I I'm I'm sure like like we said, I'm sure it's going somewhere. Yeah. Um yeah. and and I suspect it's going in the direction of give people a chance, Victoria, um but with a yeah. bunch more nuance than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, like I am I agree and I I would have been utterly confident in that read uh before all the Amy stuff when I was like, surely these people aren't as bad as Victoria thinks they are. And then (laughs) then we get one person that really throws that into a whole thing.
0: Yeah. I think the end of arc 15 was our library of people who we, I don't really care to ever see them be redeemed.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um,
0: So, yeah. Um,
1: I was talking about Amy, but yeah,
0: right. Well, sure. But, but, but Amy, Amy was just one example of, of, of an actual, stable of of people who I I wouldn't care if they died in a fire um so so well, there we go yeah so to get back to the, the conversation is it your take also that Kenzie is like de facto back on breakthrough now because she seems to have effectively quit the chicken tenders without quite saying it
1: yeah I mean kind of sort of like I don't think she ever really I mean she formally left breakthrough but I don't think she ever really left breakthrough right mm-hmm. um I think what she's doing now is just avoidance right like I think she mentions later in the chapter that she did work a job with her team a day ago or so. And the entire time she was there, um, the entire time she was there, she was uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. it was like this awkwardness between them. So I, I, she's hiding. I mean, that's kind of what the first chapter says, right? Is that she's staying with Victoria. She doesn't want to leave. She knows she can't stay there forever, but she right now in, in her grief, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to deal with it. And so she's just not,
0: yeah, um, I, I agree, actually. I mean, I, I don't think she's quit the team. I think she's just avoiding thinking about it at all, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, so there's a discussion here of Rain putting up Love Lost for more hero work and his teammates are pushing back on whether he actually wants to basically earn her amnesty for her.
1: Yeah, what do you think about this? I I, I think this was really a really fascinating conversation. Um, Rain acknowledges that maybe part of the reason why he wants to go easy on her for the cradle stuff is because he wants to go easy on himself too. So he's kind of acknowledging his bias here. Um, but, but Tristan serves up this idea and Victoria agrees with this thing where he says, I'm just saying what happens if we do this 20 more times and she's whittled her sentence down to nothing by deal she's made. It doesn't feel right that she'd be back on the streets anytime soon or go unpunished for what she did. So, I mean, I, I don't like, I'm just very interested in this idea that like what what if she earns her freedom in a very specific way but it is not a way that makes these people comfortable. Mhm. And I don't like that. And that's basically what they're saying. Like I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that idea. Um
0: Yeah, um I I, I there's so many dimensions to this actually. <laughs> right, right. Because like they're they're in this admittedly terrible situation where they're desperate for heroes to help them it seems just from a purely like quid pro quo standpoint that if somebody's willing to put themselves at risk a whole bunch of times to save people like can't that earn freedom like 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 what is the point of putting her in in the in the prison world if she demonstrates a willingness to I mean, to, the, the, to put
1: herself on the line. Yeah. For
0: something. We have, yeah. we have this phrase, pay your debt to society, which we kind of use flippantly to be like, yeah, he, he served his sentence. He paid his debt to society. It's like, okay, what does that actually mean? Like all they did was they, they put him in a jail for a long time. That's yeah. not, I don't see how that pays a debt, but what she's doing here is actually paying a debt if you sure. think about it. So,
1: right. and And the um, idea of going unpunished, like, Like, I I, there's there's multiple ways where you can be punished for something. Right. And I just like I I, from the love lost we saw in the in her interlude around the cradle stuff as she realized what what he was doing to her is a love lost. that I think recognizes um, the horror of what she's done. So, I mean, I think she's punishing herself all the time. She's punishing herself for her daughter. She's punishing herself for this. And she's dangerous. I'm not going to say she's not dangerous. I'm not going to say what she did wasn't awful it was awful i just think it's interesting especially coming from a person like tristan who would would be like resistant to someone earning the right to 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 be to exist to be free right yeah. like, like someone who did an objectively awful thing a terrible terrible thing tristan um wants to dictate the terms for someone else
0: right i mean all of this is made kind of crazy by the by the amnesty right because so many people did worse things but they did them slightly over two years ago and so they're just blanket forgiven or not forgiven Mm -hmm. right (laughs) but but they're, they're they're not in jail um love lost triggered and then did her her bad things after the amnesty and thus uh is, is held fully accountable. Sure. Um yeah. I, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's yeah, when you draw when
1: you draw arbitrary justice lines like that, it gets really complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the team discusses going to fight the machine army, which is just continuing its approach and now employing some scavenged interdimensional tech. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it seems awesome. like the
1: book is uh kind of just reminding us of all these long gestating threats, right?
0: Yeah. Um, man, I feel like that's gonna come up soon, but I don't know. I yes. I felt that way for literally a year now. So, <laughs> um, so so Tristan mentions that barcode is no longer something they need to worry about, and instead they've been using their contacts in barcode to pursue other things of interest, like Paris, other people who might try to blindside breakthrough, and Tristan's old boyfriend.
1: So uh, the thing that really jumped out at me about this conversation was the percentages that byron's talking about here right because he says the things they're doing with barcode the things they're looking out for is 90 percent for byron um 90 of what we're doing here is to make byron uh feel comfortable to help him with the stuff he's going through it's five percent me covering my ass and of course five percent me looking up my old boyfriend and i i just like want to tie this back to Capricorn's existed early, existence early in this book where they were very formal with their split, right? It was a 50-50 split time-wise, right? Like, you get mm-hmm. two hours, I get two hours. Um, if anyone takes more time, that's time they have to pay back, and we have to split everything 50-50. That's fair. It's the most fair way to do this. And it didn't really work, right? It, I mean, it, it probably did for a while, but like, at a there was a point in the story where we saw their relationship collapsing. We saw like tensions building and we saw Tristan with who is a guy with a very strong personality kept taking more and more of that time um and we saw this kind of crumble and now like from from that moment on from the uh, arc nine I think it was on we saw their relationship be a little bit more symbiotic and less like strict to percentages strict to um it has to be 50% you it has to be 50% me um they were much more in sync with each other and i think seeing this 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 90 10 split we're basically making here shows tristan's willingness and ability to like give the time where the time is needed, give the, allow the other brother to have more of something that it doesn't have to be half, half and half. It doesn't have to be 50, 50. This like, again, this recognition that what he did was horrible and fucked up. And, and in order to make it right, 90% of barcode should go to Byron. This should be about him more than it is about me. Um, And he, and we're kind of also seeing that in his willingness, um, rightly to, to cede his time to Byron to heal as well. Like, like he's, he's giving up his existence to allow his brother to heal. And that is the the right thing to do. And he should do that, but he's doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this idea of the, this the split of the resources, um, as being a metaphor for how they're kind of splitting all of their resources. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that.
1: I, I wonder though, a part of me wonders, and maybe this is just, getting getting back into worry about their relationship I wonder if you asked Byron how what percentage of the barcode stuff was for him if he would say yeah it's 90 percent or if he would he would say it's a little bit closer to on par right like I, I wonder I wonder how he would because I mean I think by Tristan's issue has been continuously that like he doesn't perceive what he's doing as being overbearing and unfair um, yeah. so I don't know I don't know
0: yeah I mean it's always uh, in, in in real life, there's there's you know with real people, there's a very real real risk of of backlash. Like if sure. if you have someone who feels like you know a, a person with a strong personality who's used to getting what they want, um, who's just sort of naturally self centered, and then they feel really bad about something and they go for a while putting a lot of energy into not being that way. There's, there's I think there's a very real risk that that just ends up in a big explosion where they they say, you know what, fuck this. I can't take this anymore. You're asking too much of me. And they, yeah. if anything, it ends up worse than it was in the first place because now they don't even have the inclination um, to, to play fair anymore. Um, yeah, that's I, the
1: worry, right? Especially, yeah. especially since Tristan's existence when he's having to spend less and less time yeah, up front isn't synced anymore. So he, like, he's literally just in like existential horror dimension. Uh, where Byron's unconscious and he can't move and can't do anything and he just has to sit there for hours and hours. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right that, that this could this could blow back in a very serious way. Yeah, yeah.
0: So the discussion of old boyfriends segues into a discussion of Kenzie uh, going and clearing the air with the chicken tenders, and it actually develops into quite a long and involved and fascinating group therapy session yeah. for where Kenzie is at right now. And I think, you know, like you're we saying closer to the start of this show, she's overtly matured and improved. The whole team is able to notice the improvements, but she herself is even more down on herself than ever. Uh, and a big part of that is this, you know, betrayal that she feels has been portrayed by chicken tenders and, and also Ashley to a degree. Um, but the team is ultimately able to convince her to make the effort to reach out to them.
1: Yeah, I, I want to spend a lot of time on this conversation because it's really important, I think, to what's going on with with Kenzie and Tristan. Like, I, I I like that it starts with this really rather mature and smart advice to Tristan, like this idea of just call him. You're, you're better off knowing than just living in this perpetual state of unknowing and assumption, Um I mean, I think it's generally good advice, but it has it has a good advice with that Kenzie Flair, right? Because she's the person that's obsessed with knowing and seeing thing. So her advice comes in this kind of package where, like, trust me, it's better off just knowing. Um, but but as we see that, it's it, that's true with, I think, almost every human being giving the advice is easy. Uh, taking the advice for yourself is a lot harder. Um, and, and I just I love I love that that idea that she can't, yeah, she can't take that advice.
0: Yeah, it's it's cool because it's been a while since we saw kind of a, an obvious example of breakthrough being a, a group, you know, the group therapy team. Um, yeah. And I, and I kind of think that's what this is, right? Like, it's not like they sat down and said, all right, we're having a therapy session, but this is definitely them using their shared difficulties in life. As a way of relating to each other and, and as a way of, of connecting to and helping each other.
1: Yeah. And they push back against each other in inappropriate ways. Right. Like if mm-hmm. one if, if Kenzie starts behaving unreasonable, they kind of put but not in a uh, confrontational way, but yeah. in a in a reasonable way. Yeah, it, it is a group therapy session. You're absolutely right. And they even, I mean, they mentioned Chris a couple of times. I really like Tristan's like, man, I wish Chris was here to say a really inappropriate joke right now about like, wow, good advice on this from Kenzie. Um, yeah. But he does it much more tactfully. I like that. Right. Um, I, I also like this little beat here where Kenzie says, they say it's better to have loved and lost and it really, really isn't. And then Sveta responds with, isn't it? And that's just a perfect little moment of characterization for Sveta, who's reeling from a breakup right yeah I think that's kind of how she like we see a little bit later in the chapter she talks about how she's still pissed off at Weld for being an idiot but he's still like one of the best people she knows and I think she's trying to create like this relationship was worth it even though I lost it um so there's like little bits of moments of characterization here
0: yeah yeah that's that's beautiful I, I think I basically passed over that little line from Sveta but it's perfectly uh you know, perfectly inserted there. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and I yeah. just, I literally just pulled a bunch of quotes from this conversation. Cause I think they're just worth talking about. Yeah. Um. So like there's the moment where Chris said I could meet Hitler and get along with him because he loved dogs. And I chatter at him about dogs and wave at him through the window while he turned on the gas. Chris said, I didn't see the bad enough. So maybe it's the opposite. And I didn't even pay enough attention, which is one of those things that is not wrong, but is told in the worst Chrissy kind of way. Um, and I like Sveta's response to this is like that might have been true when we first met you, but that's not true anymore. And the fact that you called out Chris is evidence of that. Mm. Um, and I, I, it makes me sad that Sveta like just shrugs. She doesn't like er, sorry, Kenzie. Kenzie just shrugs at that. She doesn't like take that and 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 recognize that as a symptom of her growth. Right. She's so beating herself up right now.
0: Yeah, she's very uh, reluctant to acknowledge what they're saying and, and and I think I think they're right like I think she, yeah again I've said this a few times now I think she has grown I think I think all of the things that seem like growth are actually growth Um, I think that she's understandably reeling from basically feeling like she hasn't grown because she's just lost everything
1: yeah a- every single human being in the world if they lost their best friend and found out that their teammates didn't want to be with them anymore would be in a shit mood like just because that happened to you doesn't mean that none of your progress has been worth it. Yeah. And that's what she sees right now. And they're trying as hard as they can to convince her of that, that, that she's wrong there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's so hard to explain to someone like, Oh, those middle school kids are horrible. Like, right. like, <laughs> right. like a, like a right. middle school kid isn't going to be like, Oh, Oh, is that all it is? Oh, okay. Like, no, they're going to take it extremely hard. So
1: Yeah. And, and people, People talk. People talk differently when they don't think the person can hear them and it like it's not good, right? It's not it's not like a good thing to do, but you can't always draw the worst possible conclusions because of what someone says in frustration about you when they don't think you can hear it. Um, That's just kind of what people do. And like that's why like the idea of having like mind reading powers is like something that terrifies me to my very core because I don't want to know what people are thinking about me at all times it's just not good it's not healthy
0: yeah Um, right it's a kind of social safety valve I think and and I I don't know that's a whole complicated topic unto itself I I just
1: don't think it makes you a shitty person and it doesn't mean that that person has done anything wrong if you vent to someone else about someone's behavior that's frustrating you a little bit but to Uh, Kenzie she can't see it that way
0: there's definitely lines you can cross where it crosses over from venting into like Man, fuck that person. Let's let's uh, exclude them actively and oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, I'm, not saying, and stuff, I'm not saying I'm not saying what the chicken tenders yeah. did was
1: good at all.
0: But but I, I I don't really see any evidence that what they did crosses the line into bullying. Like I think I think they were just very understandably kind of freaked out by Kenzie being Kenzie. Yeah, and and needed to talk to somebody about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so like they, they, it seems reasonable.
1: Yeah, because because people can be cool and still make a mistake. Yep. And they'd and if you ask them, they'd say you're cool, but you made a mistake by reading what they said in private. And that is true that she betrayed their confidence a little bit there. And so, like, I think she sees a lot of uh, she sees it's her fault that they said these mean things, but she does need to own up to the mistake she did make, which is betraying their privacy. Yeah, Um, it's not her fault for for what they said. You don't they need to own the the mean things they said about you in private but you need to own the fact that you shouldn't know about these things unless you violated them in some way yeah yeah and that's where they tell her and that's kind of where we leave the conversation right that 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 is going to happen probably yeah. um we don't know how it's going to go but that's that's w- what's going to happen
0: yep cool
1: um then we have this 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 part that we, we need to address because I think people will ride if we don't address it, but I don't, I, I stared at these three paragraphs for so long and I don't know how to read it in any other way than the way I'm forced to read it. Um, because Sveta is talking about her complex relationship with Ashley and she says Armstrong was so proud of how well she was doing. It really affected him that she was gone, you know? I can't say I felt exactly the same. I never really felt... I don't know how to put it. She wasn't someone I clicked with, not in a general sense, but I have a ton of memories of conversations like the one I mentioned to you a bit ago, Victoria, about Ashley wanting to be a Case 53. Times our differences made the bridging of the gaps feel really meaningful. That makes a ton of sense, I said. I kind of feel the same way. Probably about very different things. Sveta smiled. Very different things. So... Matt, <laughs> I
0: don't know why you read it that way.
1: Because <laughs> she said that's how you read things when when you smile.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: So what does she mean by those very different things, Matt? What is your interpretation of the scene? And t- show me an interpretation I, of the scene that isn't the one I'm thinking I, it is. I
0: mean, I mean my, my interpretation was the lack of interpretation. It was like, huh, that's cryptic. I wonder what. I wonder <laughs> if that's going to go somewhere or, um. meaning I wonder if we're going to find out with clarity what that meant in the course of of Victoria's grieving or or perhaps a future conversation with Sveta. um, Or or am I meant to just know automatically what Sveta means precisely? Um, I I, I didn't automatically know what Sveta means precisely. I didn't really have a good, uh, you know, if you put me on the spot and ask me to figure it out, I mean, I don't think Sveta and and Ashley would have gotten along as roommates. I I feel like Sveta recognizes that Victoria and Ashley were actually friends. I think Sveta is doing a very admirable job of saying, I didn't really like Ashley that much and we weren't friends and I didn't get along with her. Um, But I'm trying hard to empathize with all you guys who are sad that she's dead now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, maybe and, that's too harsh, but
1: well, no, I, I I think that's kind of right. I mean, but I think there are there are moments she says where the, the bridging of the gaps gaps felt really meaningful. Like I do miss her in a way. Like we didn't always get along. I had a lot of troubles trouble with her, but the moments in which we felt like we really connected make everything more meaningful. And that is the thing I'm thinking about those things too as I think about my relationship to, uh, to Ashley, um, and I think. I mean, Victoria has that kind of thing too, where there's moments where she and Ashley got along a lot, and there's moments where she and Ashley butted heads a lot um and so yeah, I mean that could it could be just as simply as that, but the the smile gets me the smile makes me go immediately to does Sveta think the things that everyone <laughs> that in all the, this community is thinking
0: i I did not read that into that until you read it in that tone of voice
1: well um, may- maybe yeah maybe my brain just did that i don't know i don't know
0: i mean that's that's there that's definitely sure. a possibility well
1: and it's been in the text before that like that's what i keep going back to like that i know the diary was fake but the diary put some stuff in there right
0: yeah um, the, di- the diary was fake but it was made by people who were watching sure, and and, sure. and and analyzing um Subtext, right? It was it was subtext. So
1: I I guess we'll have to bring damsel into the story and solve this mystery for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, damsel, please figure out the subtext. (laughs) All right, all right. Glad we sorted that out.
1: Sure. So they go (laughs) to did
0: did we? uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So they go to check on Rain, and they find him talking shop with Bullet Time. Rain seems to very much enjoy talking about manly stuff with a fellow Joe Rogan listener.
1: I don't listen to that podcast, so I don't understand the reference. Oh, I, but I, I just, sure.
0: as, I just assumed that Bullet Time and Rain were both Joe Rogan listeners based on their personalities.
1: Because is is that like a really manly podcast?
0: I mean, yes. I mean, like every every episode, he talks about like bow hunting and shooting elk, and then okay. eating the elk, and then okay. driving in his muscle car home with the elk.
1: All right. So here's what I'm going to say about this. Uh Uh, Those of you that are doing your shipping thing, have your fun. I'm not going to (laughs) rain on your parade. Uh, Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy it. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and analyze this thing and say, no, you are wrong. And here's why. I I don't care. Uh, that much go have fun have fun I I was very much against this idea of shipping when we first started this podcast and I have I have people have shown me the light and I (laughs) I I I don't I don't do it I don't like doing it but I'm also not going to criticize people for stuff that they enjoy doing right um so just go for it do your thing I what I want to talk about here in in this thing is I want to talk about the most important part of the conversation to me that I think is is maybe getting a little bit lost in all this talk um I think there's this line in here that we need to talk about this line where he says we were sharing stories, but didn't feel like one upping one another. It was nice. And and I think that's really important. I think that's really important because I think it's showing that regardless of what type of relationship this is, rain was raised in a cult that put a huge amount of emphasis on these traditionally masculine things. These, I guess Joe Rogan y type things, right? And part of that emphasis in this organization was this kind of drive to pit people against each other, to compete against each other in this hierarchical system that like, like to, to win the, the strongest is awarded the best woman, whatever that kind of regressive bullshit um, under that lens outside of breakthrough who the men and breakthrough are definitely his friends. Um, but they are closer. I think they're closer to his family. Right. I think, I think I can say that at this point, like these guys are more than just friends. They're like a family. I don't think Reigns had a relationship with another guy that isn't framed in that competitive, like toxic, masculine bullshit um, that that came from his break, his his uh, origin. Yeah. So this moment of just meeting another person that is interested in the same stuff he is interested in. That is just, uh, is fun to talk to about the stuff to, to swap stories about the, the different things that they built and the different things they've done. And that there is no one upping here. There is no feeling of competition. Uh, that is so refreshing and so different for rain. Um, and I think that's so important for him and I'm so incredibly happy for him that, that he's gotten to a place where he can have like, relationships like this friendships like this whatever you want to call it I don't care um this is this is so so important for him as a character
0: yeah yeah it's awesome I mean I think that was my take as well this the idea that it's totally a a thing that that you know men can just socially click and and bond very rapidly over shared interests and hobbies yeah um and and that's that's I was like yeah that's what this is and 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 it's actually uh, super nice when that happens like it's the the all of the all of the jokes about bromance and so forth like that's that's referring to the phenomenon that that dudes who are not <laughs> sexually interested in each other can totally think another dude is super awesome and and want to be their best friend after just meeting them and and so forth. Like that, that was my read on what's happening here. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, And and I'm not going to say any other read is wrong. I don't, I'm not concerned enough, but yeah, I, I just wanted to focus on the importance of that as a central, as a new exciting important experience for a guy who every, every, and, and let's remember, he was, like, the shitty one of the group, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah, he was in competition with these people and losing constantly. Every man he knew in the Fallen camp was superior to him, quote-unquote. Um, mm. And so he's never, he's never been in any kind of friendship where that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's better at what or we just like the same stuff. Yeah. We just like to talk about it. And yeah. I'm just I'm just happy for him. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad for Rain. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, and in terms of what, in terms of like what reading is correct, it's like I, I don't know. This this guy just showed up in the story. We'll we'll yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll find we'll out. See. Like yeah. either we'll never hear about Bullet Time again, in which case I guess I guess it didn't matter that much. Or we will, and then we'll probably get a little bit more clarity. But sure. But sure. either way, you you do you, everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that's that's what I mean about you know yeah the, my my dropping my guard about the shipping stuff is i think when we first talked about it i was very like no it's stupid why do people do that i don't understand it i don't get it and i was very resistant to that and and just to be honest a kind of insulting way um i don't care about it anymore <laughs> like to knock yourself out i have yeah. your fun life life is hard and often shitty and take your fun where you can get it
0: yeah right well i mean like on some level shipping while reading a a, a book is just something that happens automatically as you're like oh uh, i wonder if is this a setup for these characters getting together um it's it's the part where like every single interaction is is read into in a way that i that is sort of not supported that that we begin to kind of be like "Uh, what is the point of this exactly but (laughs) right right yeah and the
1: answer is we will see yeah right um so 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 there's this I I just as we wrap up this conversation, there's this moment where Rain's talking about both time and saying he grew up in a place where they did that, except his family was among the people who stayed. He said he shot someone before he was Kenzie's age. And Kenzie's response is I shot someone before I was my age. Flash guns don't count. (laughs) I I love that interaction. And it made me think about all these moments throughout this entire conversation where there's these fun interactions between members of Breakthrough. And you know what it made me do? Hmm. It made me miss Ashley. Because I, I think there's these like, and I don't even know, I don't even know if the the conversations were consciously crafted to f- to make it feel like there were these hilarious swan song holes, or if it's just what happens when you're so used to a character being involved in these kind of group therapy sessions and and putting her opinion into these things, and then they're just not there anymore. Um, it, it was it was very jarring for me when I realized that I'm like laughing along at this funniness, and I'm like. Oh, I, I could really use a swan song comment yeah. here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, her 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 brand was a great a great addition to to the the humor style of their group, and it's yeah. absolutely missed. Yeah, it's a, a great way. To,
1: it's a great way to make us miss it in either an intentionally or unintentionally way. I like it.
0: Yeah. Cool. Good point. No, I'm sad. <laughs> um. So the team heads to meet Nieves and Dinah after hearing that they've come to talk to the wardens. Finally. Yep. <laughs> On their way, Naftha asks if they're interested in fighting uh, the sleeper.
1: All right, Matt. Let's let's talk about the sleeper. Do we, do we care about the sleeper?
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fun uh, it's a fun mystery, right?
1: It's to me, it's a fun joke that I don't think matters. Like, I just I don't know. I, maybe I'm reading. I'm not reading enough into it. But like, I had someone comment on uh, Twitter. It's like I'm surprised you didn't have more reaction about learning more about sleeper. And I was like. Do we learn? Do we learn more about the yeah. sleeper? I guess we learned he's stronger than Alexandria and smart. He's, and
0: he's, yeah, he's just he's just the most dangerous thing you can imagine within the context of this universe, basically. Yeah. Um, see, I'm 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 kind of a sucker for um the mystery in the background that you think you want to know more about, but you don't actually. That is never <laughs> explained. Like sure. Like I I never I never want to understand like where cthulhu comes from like i feel like every time you i feel like you know every time jj J. abrams opens the mystery box it's disappointing because <laughs> you're like oh yeah. like yeah it's just something it's just something it was more fun when it was a mystery and jj and J. abrams kind of knows that um which is the whole point of why he does that but in, in this case i feel like this is kind of a kind of a meme right but also like it's it's I don't know. It's just fun. It's just kind of ineffably fun for me to have elements like this in a story.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if if that element suddenly became a huge important part of the story, I don't know how I'd feel about it. Like um, actually started mattering to well, the.
0: Like if this know, arc was the fighting sleeper arc. Yeah, yeah. I would be. Yeah, I'd be. I'd be surprised. But the thing is, it would be in a way that made sense, right? <laughs> so mean,
1: yeah, sure, it would. But like, I would just be like, I don't know. I don't know. I just yeah people ask me my opinion on the sleeper is I okay don't, I don't uh, yeah,
0: it's a I mean my opinion on the sleeper is the sleeper is is, is an intentional background horror element sure and, and if it's for if the sleeper is ever foregrounded then it will immediately cease to basically permanently cease to be a backgrounded horror element that will actually become much less horrifying and more of just like a, oh it's an enemy that we have to fight now Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, I mean this isn't to take anything away from nursery because nursery was ultimately very satisfyingly horrifying, but like you, 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 it's hard to even put yourself in the position of, of like not quite knowing what nursery was capable of and, and the like creepiness of being in her domain and you hearing like the slurpy sounds coming from the cribs and everything. Like, remember when, remember when that was all we knew and we were just like, Oh my God, this is so creepy and atmospheric now you just know that she can turn a whole area into a bunch of grasping fetus tentacles. Yeah, so that's
1: such a different thing, though. Well, like, it's a,
0: it's a different it's a different thing. But my point is, once you once you leave the domain of mystery, you can't really go back to the domain of mystery with that thing. With with the it it, it is it change it fundamentally changes how that element operates in the story from that point on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, true.
0: And, and even in retrospect, is, is, is I think my point, like I don't want to say it would ruin the sleeper for us to fight the sleeper. But I feel like it would kind of ruin the sleeper in terms of my current like Lovecraftian background element concept of the sleeper.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think you're right. I think cool. you're right. So, yeah, I don't I don't see I, I don't see it coming to the foreground is basically yeah. what I'm saying. I would be very surprised. Um, but I think the point is here to getting beyond that specific thing is the chapter is taking these long established threats. You know, the machine army, the sleeper, um, whatever the fuck is about to happen in the city and just kind of just kind of poking at them and reminding us that they're there. And and we know that devastation is going to happen in the city. Right. We know this is going to happen. And it's going to happen soon. It's why our characters are evacuating the people. We don't know what it is or where it's coming from. So we have all these threats kind of swirling around and we have no idea which one of them is going to be the one that sets off the collapse, quote unquote. Um, And and meanwhile, our characters are kind of like sidelined in that they can't do anything about any of them. Right. I think that that was that was the the kind of the whole moment with them, uh, with um, uh, Naphtha Trying to get people to do stuff, Breakthrough didn't do any of that stuff because they they couldn't, um, right? So I, I think I think like what we've done is we've shown all these existential threats and these giant moving pieces that are happening, but um, our our characters are powerless to do anything against it. They can't fight the machine army. They can't go after the sleeper. They can't go stop or help with the broken trigger. They can't even go evacuate some people. Um, all they can do. Is kind of focus on each other, and and deal with that door that's nagging Victoria.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, d- uh, f- phrasing it that way, it becomes even more clear what the role of bringing up the sleeper is here, because it's it's like they're so all compromised on their back foot, and 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 messed up, and incapable of addressing problems. And it just highlights that in a comedic way to have somebody walk up and be like, hey, do you want to fight God? And it's like <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, I like I get it. Like we're we're highlighting yeah. in, in a humorous way how how not up for the current level of um, of the stakes they are. Like, yeah, they're they're, they're yeah, yeah, I like okay. that. I like yeah. that a lot.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, but but what this does to me, I think, is show how we get our characters to a point where they might do something stupid. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you have, you have Victoria who, again, like she, she outlines her things here. She says, number one, I want my team to be okay. Number two, I want answers. And number three, I'm going to take fucking action to get both of those things done. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. And now we've kind of, we've kind of taken the scope of what Victoria can do and, and shrunk it down to this one specific thing. This Kenzie tech, Rain dream room door thing. This thing that someone that is very trustworthy and uh, and and very admirable specifically told them not to do. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's kind of the, the 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 story is moving in this direction. And I'm I'm sitting back here going, uh oh. Because because in the back of my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm like, everything's gonna collapse. What if what they're doing is the thing that's going to cause that?
0: Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, uh, uh, I mean, it's a story, right? <laughs> it's a story. <laughs> and right. just like the, the fact that we're set up in this situation and we have this foreshadowing dating all the way back to Glowworm where Kenzie is talking about making a camera that can take a picture of the shard or whatever. I'm pretty sure that was in Glowworm, actually. I might be wrong. I don't remember. Um, But like that's that's definitely going to be involved in the climax of of things. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. Absolutely. So they actually they eventually do get to Dinah and we find out that Dinah is warning the wardens in the strongest possible terms that Contessa is not on the up and up. Contessa has destroyed all Dinah's work to manipulate the populace and to keep things from boiling over. One of those things was murdering Kurt, who in retrospect, uh, it almost seems, you know, it seems like killing him wasn't even part of the attack on teacher. It was just part of like a different, bigger plan. I don't know if I'm off base on that, but like
1: says Dinah.
0: Yeah, well, and and and, and then I mean, so I don't know how into the weeds we want to get at this exact moment. But like then you have to start asking, like, is Dinah playing her own game to try to discredit Tessa? Like, like she's not necessarily mean. I we're we're somewhat positively predisposed toward Dinah, but we don't know what's really happened in the last couple of years. We don't really know. We we, we don't know if we can trust her, right?
1: No, so. no, we don't. And I mean, we had this this moment at the end of last arc with Contessa where it really felt like, hey, look, she's grown. We mm-hmm. I mean, we pointed that out. It's like she's like, I'm done with the utilitarian option anymore. I'm not going to play that. And of course, that could have been just, you know, Just more manipulation. She's saying that because that accomplishes a specific goal she's trying to do. We get to get this. Dinah says that um, the person who blew up the mayor's car was was not an anti-parahuman faction. It was that number boy that did that, that killed Kurt. um, And presumably Citrine is still alive because we said one of them dead, one of them still alive. Right. Um, So that was that was. But we didn't see her order him to do that, right? We just saw her say, go tell them to leave right now. Mm-hmm. And that, the non-Jeff number boy said, I'll do it. The one, I guess, who is our, our, our number four buddy. um, I'll do yeah. it. And so he he did that. And so, yeah, I was like, why did he, do, did she, did she just do it knowing he was going to do that because she's path to, like, there's. It's a it's a fucking clusterfuck, Matt. Because who is telling the truth, who isn't? And th- I think that's exactly where we're supposed to be. Like we're supposed to hear this. This is uh, this is the end of this is the end of this chapter. This is kind of the cliffhanger moment of the chapter. And we're like, which one of these people can we trust?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, it is a bit gratifying, honestly, to 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 be here because we spent quite a bit of time um, during the previous arc being like. Okay, so how many levels of Contessa fuckery is going on here? Like, like, <laughs> right. like, do we believe that she's being completely straightforward with them and just saying like, look, I'm giving you three options that serve your the goals that you said, or, or, or like, and I think we even said this at some point, and others have said it as well, like, were those three options just like her saying, path to me saying the thing I need to say to get the outcome I want? And the whole the whole thing was just an illusion that they had any choice at all. Yeah. Um. I don't know if we have the answer to that yet, but it's it's seeming like, yeah, what she was doing probably wasn't as um, earnestly uh, 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 democratic as she wanted it to seem.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think in anything, the the truth is going to be somewhere in between both perspectives. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's not I don't think Dinah is going to be most in her accuracy, but I don't think Contessa is clearly the, like uh, to me, this, this Contessa moment, like gives the heroes some good news, right? It's like, okay, she's changed. She's recognized that this path isn't the right one. Now she's on the side of good and she's going to help them accomplish their goal in a way that isn't quite so cruel and destructive. Um, and yay, we, we get to feel comforted about that. And then this swoops in and goes, actually, no, you can't. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I I, like I, I like there's there's part of me that wants to trust Dinah here that wants to believe that she's telling the truth that like she's been manipulating things behind the scenes to kind of like, you know, keep the manage the anti parahuman sentiment. And that's that's I mean, that's one thing we can say is that we're arc 16 into this book and the anti parahuman stuff has been established from the very beginning and we've kind of been talking about how this this thing's been boiling, but it's never boiled over. And in part of my mind, I was like, why isn't that happening? Like, you f- you kind of figure what happened by now. And what we're, we're kind of being told here is that Dinah was doing that. She was managing that. And that's kind of why it hadn't boiled over. Um,
0: yeah. But that's that, gone that, now. That's true. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, there's I think there's definitely like I'm not saying we can't believe anything she's saying. Um, right. But I'm also not saying like when when precogs are fucking with each other, it's just like the people in the middle are just like Jesus.
0: Yeah, I mean, can can I just say that this this type of storyline is like cracked to me? Like, I just yeah. I, I, this is definitely a Matt, a mad storyline for sure. I mean, you you just said you don't know what to think, and I'm like, yeah, that's this is like exactly the the state I like to be in because it it felt like at the end of fifteen, like okay, we wrapped it up. Um, they, they won according to outcome C, which was what Contessa said, uh, would happen. Everything that Contessa said would happen has happened. So I guess that we can take what she said at face value. And now we're put back in the position of being like, nope, that was all just a plan within a plan within a plan. Yeah. And, and we're back in a situation of, of, of analyzing and second guessing, which is what, which is what I like to do. Like, that's how I like to interact with this kind of story. So, yeah.
1: This is the this is the catalyst for the disaster you're anticipating. And it's her in fighting to distract your capes, her, just like you said, she had you do to distract and scare off teacher.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is it's a shitty situation to be in and I kind of can't wait to see how our characters react to it, because that's what we don't really get to see. The the chapter ends on this bombshell from Dinah and then uh, and then we move on. Yeah. And, and you read it because you're a cheater, but I I'm, haven't yet.
0: I'm a cheater cuz I mean there there's no way I wasn't going to considering how how much of a cliffhanger it was so
1: yeah yeah so that's the end
0: yeah that's these two chapters um good stuff let's move on to the community spotlight the previous week's discussion question was uh what is the most impactful character death in written fiction
1: so this is a tough one matt yeah i, I don't know i don't know what to do here <laughs> well
0: i mean i think there's only one thing we can do because either we're going to spoil every important and dramatic written work in the English language and, <laughs> and possibly also a few other languages, or mm-hmm. we're just going to have to read people's names and then mention the story that they read. Yeah. Uh, maybe, the, maybe
1: if they outline something in a non-spoilery way, we can read that, but yeah, uh,
0: but, but probably not. I think maybe if it's like an extremely famous thing, then we might just mention it. Well, we'll play that part by ear. Sure. All right. Uh, first from Das Niveau, um, they, uh, they quote uh, near the end of Worm, uh, just before Taylor is put into a, uh, a brief coma and then healed. So, I guess they're disqualified because Taylor doesn't die. So,
1: <laughs> I don't know, Matt. I think uh, I think this is saying that Taylor's Taylor's dead. And are you that's saying they
0: disagree they with me on that? Uh, I, I, am. All right. I am. I mean, it's certainly impactful. I think. It's, I think it's pretty much equally impactful whether or not you think Taylor dies there. So yeah, I agree. Um, they also had another answer, which is I can't read German. I don't know how to read German. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I'm not it's gonna a, read.
1: It's a German novel.
0: Die the the, the the Doktor des Drachen is what I'm gonna attempt to say. It's
1: probably gl- close.
0: Okay. I don't know what that is. Me neither. Okay.
1: But I'm sure it has a very impactful death.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: All right. Next up, we have Megafire, who uh, lists Shepherd's Crown from the Discworld series. Um, I can't go into anything. Um,
0: yeah, I've never really read any of those books, so I I am actually disinclined to even read that answer. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think
1: I read it because um, I I probably will never will never read Discworld, um, and I thought it was a very beautiful answer, Megafire. So thank you. Um, talking about speaking to Terry Pratchett's death specifically and how it relates to a death in the book. So,
0: yeah, yeah. That was some people were talking about the fact that, that t- Terry, Terry Pratchett's death was very sad to them as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. um, nugget blaster 69 mentions the red wedding in game of Thrones, which, uh,
1: some of it's, you, you guys know what that is.
0: Yeah. And if you don't, then, uh, I mean the game of Thrones, the books are really good. The books I would, are,
1: I would be curious if anyone listening to this podcast doesn't know what that what that is referencing.
0: Yeah, that'd be that'd be fun. Let us know if you don't know what The Red yeah. Wedding is.
1: Just I wonder how just universal in pop culture that is now. Yeah. Uh, next, we have BWU256, who says Bridge to Terabithia. This book fucked me up, Matt. So I completely understand this reaction. Um, I think it was one of the w- first books that I read that really dealt with death. In a very kind of visceral, shocking, specific kind of way, um, so I completely agree. It is, yeah, it's a good. It's a good book. I
0: still don't. I don't. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if it's healthy to to just ambush kids with with that kind of thing. Because cause I was also, <laughs> the, like like non jokingly like like extremely upset and depressed by this book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I'll have to. <laughs> think about this.
1: In an ideal world, I think you read the book and then you have a conversation with uh, your, your your family about it and you kind of work through that process with some adults um, who can help you with that,
0: right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It also would have been nice if whoever handed you the book would have been like this book is really sad. That's like, a spoiler. But, but, but then at least you can prepare, but you don't even know what that means, right? You just know that, that you need to prepare yourself for something sad. I suppose. I don't know. I don't know. I suppose. Sarah Penguin chooses uh, best girl, Ashley. And uh, they say, Ashley is a very endearing person. She is just the right mix of sass, wit, being badass, and compassion to make you care for her. She has nine lives, curls up with her sister to sleep, and can be catty, so she has great cats and cats are cute. (laughs) Sorry, so, so she is a great cat and cats are cute. In Eclipse, she is lost and alone, seeing days as bad or soon to be bad. She clawed her way out of that lonely existence and found good days in people she cares for. She had some setbacks, like killing beasts of burden, but she refused to give up and kept working at making a happy life for herself, caring for Kenzie and Victoria, even helping Sveta during the breakup. Her refusing pain meds and taking more of her medication shows how much of this life, how much this life means to her. The original damsel probably would have never taken meds in the first place. Just as she earns the life she works so hard for, sorry, she works... So hard for it's taken from her. Then there's Kenzie and Victoria with how much Ashley helps them losing her will to be a big void and emotionally devastating for them. Uh, Sorry, losing her will be a big void and emotionally devastating for them. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot about Ashley and I, I loved this answer. Um, Obviously, recency bias makes me give this exact same answer to the question Um, just because this was a really impactful death for me as well. Um, I, I a hundred percent agree with everything Sarah Penguin said. Um, I, it's, I'm, I'm so happy that Ashley got to live a life she wanted and she got to, uh, be the person that she wanted to be, not the person she was struggling against. Um, but yeah, it is, it is very sad that she's gone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree.
1: All right. Next, we have Hero of Old Iron, whose answer is a huge spoiler for Book Three of Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archives. Um, I didn't click on it because I'm definitely going to read those books. So the people that have read it probably know what he's talking about, but I I don't.
0: Yep. So. Speaking of spoilers for things, Calsubalu uh, <laughs> v two and July eighty three both gave answers from Twig. Um, yeah, uh, the those were. Those are pretty, pretty heart wrenching. Um, I agree. Yeah. Be great. Twig.
1: Thanks, guys. Now I know characters die in Twig. Oh, Ruined. no. Oh, no. Ruined. Uh, Wanson uh, picks Life is Strange season one, a death in episode four of that uh, serial video game. Um, again, I'm not going to spoil it because I think it's probably some people listening that have not played that game and want to. But, man, I agree with this answer. Uh, I did the exact same that Wanson did in uh, the choice presented in this game, and it is rough. It's very rough.
0: Yeah, um, I I, uh, I read this answer even though I haven't played this game because I don't know if I ever will, but um, maybe I will now. <laughs> Greco Prime uh, says Order of the Stick, uh, which we did a we did a doof cast on. Yeah, but and we we got I think pretty far into it, but apparently not far enough because. I don't think we reached this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating <coughs> to me. Like he wrote this very long answer to this question about a comic book that while I enjoyed, I didn't see as something that would produce that kind of emotional reaction to like a character dying or something. So I'm I'm very curious now and I, I kind of want to go back and read more of this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we've been told a few times that that particular story is one where you just have to really, really invest a ton of time. And yeah, uh, for, and, and for, it was a bit more than we could justify for a doof cast, unfortunately.
1: And we jumped out and we jumped out, you know, before yeah. it started really getting good. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Bisexual Punk Punch Party lists his dark materials um, and a death that happens at the very end of the first book of that series. Um, we'll not go into it any more than that. But, uh, I, we read that book again recently, recently, it was two years ago. It was our first, it was our very first book club or yeah. second, one of those. Um, and while I did not, while I did not like that book as much as I remember liking it as a kid, I will agree that the death that is in question here, uh, is pretty powerful. Oh. It's a pretty powerful moment in that story. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, think, I agree. I think you should go read those books, even though I didn't like the first one very much. I think they're worth reading if you've never read them before.
0: Yeah, I've only read the first one, um, and I agree that was a that was a hard one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tinky Forecast lists a death in the Harry Potter series, which I, I would call this borderline. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read which one, but I think everybody probably knows it's the one that's completely shocking and unexpected.
1: It's in book five.
0: I yes. don't remember. Yes, it's in yeah, book it five. Has, that it has death. To be. That yeah. death in book five. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not the not the one in book six that became the meme.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just to editorialize for a second, it, it's it's a tad unfortunate that we that we can't go into all the answers on this one because, like, the, the point of asking this question for me was to say, well, was was to get at like, I think I understand pretty well what makes a good death in film. Like, first of all, you have sad music, and you show. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kind of being tongue in cheek, but like. Like there's kind of a lot of obvious things that are done to make it, to make you cry when someone dies in a movie and you can't really rely on any of those things in a book. You have to set it up in a completely different way to make it hit hard. Um, and it's very, I, th- I honestly think it's pretty easy to flub, like, like some of these, some of these, some of these answers, I like, I, I, I may have liked the book that the death happened in, but I just kind of felt like the death was like, yeah, that was sad, but like I didn't, I, I didn't cry. And and me personally, I almost never cry or tear up or emotionally react on a, on a visceral level to a written death. I, I love, I love books. Obviously I'm fully capable of like reacting to a book, but that's, it, it's unusual actually that a, that a death in a story will make me cry. So I wanted to get a good kind of cross section of like what people thought made a good uh, impactful death in, in a story. And the answers were really great. I just can't, spoil everything in the world, unfortunately. So
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And one thing I'll say is that the thing that I liked is that these answers actually brought about discussion in a way that some of our other answers don't. Um, because people were replying to other people's options and saying, Oh yeah, I totally agree and blah, blah, blah. And I think I I we get such good answers to these discussion questions, but often they don't result in actual within the thread discussion. Mm-hmm. Um and so I liked I liked that this one this one did yeah me too uh heaven's chocolate who is a first time commenter hello welcome um listed jojo's part seven steel ball run i can't make any comment about that at all yeah cause... i don't
0: i don't know what any of those words mean
1: <laughs> it's Ca- a manga
0: that's all i know Oh, okay okay colon nine eight five lists wizard's first rule uh-huh. um there's some death in there. I don't know. I never heard that story. Yeah,
1: interesting thing. The the, the one thing I did want to say about Calanero thing is is they they even claim it's an odd choice for them because they don't actually like the series or this book very much. But uh, there is the death of a character in it that sticks out to them really strongly, um, uh, in ways that I can't say. But cool. Um, I think that's that's really fascinating. It's it's a really interesting answer because it's a different. It's different. It's different. I I would suggest go reading it. Did I take yours?
0: No, you're. Oh. I I I read that one, and oh, then you. Okay, sorry.
1: <laughs> we have running to da food. <laughs> I love that name. Um, they talk about Vista a little bit, and and how how hard Vista's death hit them, death quote unquote hit them in the story. Uh, they they had liked her in Worm, but really came to adore her in Ward. Uh, and how she's older and has come to terms with herself as a veteran, a fighter, and a survivor. Um, Her interlude chapter in Worm stands out because of her unrelenting sense of fatalism, and it was distinctly disturbing to see that through the perspective of a 12-year-old girl who had lost all of her friends and wouldn't let herself cry. Um, They said that, fast forward to Ward, where Vista has learned to channel that cynical fatalism through dark humor, edgy eyeliner, and fantastic swears. It's still there, but she seems to have conquered it, to have grown and developed in spite of it. But then when we're led to believe that March kills Vista uh, running to the food thought that the text was coming full circle and legitimizing younger Vista's fatalism by concluding the story of the child soldier. She was forced to grow up too fast and she died too soon. It made all Vista's progress seem futile. But then she's not dead. So, yay. <laughs> so running to the food says. Um, I, the moral of the story is I will never again take Vista for granted. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I will never um judge Wild those story choices prematurely either. Mhm. Yeah. Uh Logier or Eojer, you know, we're going to have to pick a font with Seraphs at some point. Um <laughs> says uh a, a death in Guy Gabriel Kay's The Lions of Al-Rasan.
1: So, you people that have read that probably know what that means. I don't. Uh, March was May picks Chronicles of Narnia, and they pick an interesting thing. Chronicles of Narnia, their argument here is that this death, um, was not mo- They were not moved or affected in oh so beautiful way, but in more of a what the fuck way, um, as in that it was kind of pro death propaganda. They they said. Um, I it's been so long since I've read Chronicles of Narnia. I remember what March was May is talking about. I don't I don't remember. And, and enough to be able to say, oh, yeah, you're totally right. So. Yeah,
0: right. The, the way that the way that bit reads is completely empty of of emotion. And it's not until you think about it later that you're like, oh, my God, this is yeah. a nightmare.
1: Also, I mean, C.S. Lewis was going to write another whole book that w- went into the surviving character a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he died. So he was oh. never able to do that. So it might have it might have. Tied up in a way that is much more satisfying than it, than the, what it seems so. I
0: didn't know that I didn't know that I'm just going to okay. assume that that fixed all the problems that I have with Chronicles of Narnia
1: Okay Well, I don't I mean, it's a fiercely Catholic not, well, Christian <laughs> book So I don't think it's going to fix all your problems
0: I, I'm just going to assume that it would have
1: Okay, Thank sure you.
0: Thank you sure. Uh, And finally, Stelhex lists the Iron Giant
1: And all I'm going to say to that is Superman
0: That's right that's right, um yeah, like these are all great answers i I kind of want to go i I like i want to study I want to study the answers and understand what what precisely makes these work so well, right because again, there's a lot of deaths in fiction, there's a lot of deaths in written fiction, sometimes they feel like nothing, sometimes they hurt a little bit, sometimes they're just gutting and they ruin your day, and you're just walking around in a funk for the next week and a half, and um, I'd like to understand why some work so well and some don't so what
1: do you know do you know a book the book that's made you cry the most if any
0: i i i really can't think of of any book that has made me cry And i'm not saying that that's because it's never happened um i just don't think i process written words that way for somehow. I don't know. I yeah, have all I, kinds I of it. other you're, reactions. You're,
1: you're a soulless monster. I get it. Yeah. I understand.
0: Yeah. No, it, it's weird because <laughs> books will totally... Like, I'll totally be really sad about it. I just won't necessarily cry. Whereas whereas movies are much more likely to make me tear up in, in that moment. Um,
1: I, I agree with that sentiment. It is much more likely to happen with me in movies, but books have definitely made me weep. Um, Man, uh, The Fault in Our Stars... I, I don't know if I just... I read that at a time where I was just like primed to to be emotionally devastated, but that I wept while while reading the end of that book.
0: Yeah, I feel like I need to think about this maybe because maybe there's somewhere I'm just not my 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 memory search algorithm is just not it doesn't I'm not using the right search terms as it were. Um, maybe that's, I'll look through my Goodreads bookshelf, bookshelf. Such
1: a cold calculated way of, of answering <laughs> I'm, that. I'm
0: just, I'm just turning into the skid of me being an emotionless d- drone. Got it. Um, but yeah, I, I could look at my Goodreads bookshelf and, and really try to be honest with myself. Um, all right. Well, that's the discussion question for last week. This week's discussion question is, how do you relate to Victoria?
1: Yeah, and we're not talking about like brother sister here folks no, no um yeah what i mean what part of victoria's personality do you relate most to which which do you find yourself attaching yourself to um and or, yeah. or maybe or maybe how are you not relating to victoria would be a good yeah maybe twist on that as well
0: yeah there there is there are some things in this chapter where i was just like yeah th- these are These are things that I that I relate to as a human being, like like Mm -hmm. character flaws that I have or character traits that I have. And I was like, yeah, that's that's always important in reading, especially for a protagonist. You you kind of want to anchor your your character. So, um, yeah, let us know.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a a signal of the strength of the writing that I think there are many anchors to attach yourself to on Victoria. Yeah, I, I think the parts of the parts of her that I relate to are probably very different from the parts of her that you relate to.
0: Yeah, maybe so. That's, that's cool to think about. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, thoughts, or questions on this week's reading.
1: You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is a soulless, emotionalist, more dinner
0: That's right. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms.
1: Uh, oh, you changed it. I was not, I was not prepared. <laughs> As always, you can find this and all the other shows we do, including our brand new show, What mm, Whatcha Say, over at our website, to doofmedia.com. You'll also find Do the Right Thing, Deep Impact, and uh, our book club over there, which is coming up next week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Um, and what book are we covering, Scott? Um The Well of Ascension.
1: We, yes, that's the one. Thank you for covering me up. The
0: that. second Mistborn novel. <laughs> so if you're into Mistborn, you can participate in the book club in real time and it'll be totally awesome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you like any of our shows, any of those shows you just heard listed, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. Remember that we just revamped our Patreon awards quite a bit. Um and, and so if you if you checked it out in the past decided it wasn't for you or if you checked that out in the past and donated it at, at one particular level maybe check it out again see if any of the new offerings appeal to you um as it stands you get to vote in our in our fan art and costume contests join our q a sessions access to, to our live streams of recording sessions participate in our discord chat um and and uh, engage it with us in in like a monthly hangout thing those are all options yeah um and while you're on Discord, make sure you go to – uh, sorry, while you're on Patreon, make sure you head to <laughs> patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to wildbo as well because um, the reward you get for doing that is uh, for this story to continue to exist.
1: That's a good one.
0: Yep. Special thanks to new patrons. This week, we have Bidoof's at the $1 level, Kate P., Keegan L., a- Andrew, and Jake T., Doof Dancers at the new $5 level, we have Varanus Sapiens, To Steal a Murder Bird, (laughs) Yes Please, (laughs) Running to the Food, Metathulu, and Alex, and new Doof Warrior at the $20 level, Nathaniel P. Wow. Thanks so much, everyone. It looks like some people did find the new reward tiers appealing, and we really hope that we're able to, you know, bring all some gratifying Experiences, and we really appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, guys. It's it's awesome. Um, we are so close to our next goal. It's crazy. I think we're twenty patrons away from getting to do the Dark Tower podcast, and I am very excited about that. So we appreciate each and every one of you that is helping make that possible. Um, man, it's it's crazy, Matt. It's crazy. Yeah. Love you all. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you cannot afford to donate. Absolutely. Okay, you can you can help us out and in many other ways. You can share the podcast. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. um You know, you can just like just like pester people on the subway. Just say, like say hey yeah hey re- read this book and like if you're curious like what you're supposed to think about the book, listen mm-hmm. to these guys yeah. talk about what they think.
0: You can use one of those boom boxes and just play it on the subway loudly. Oh,
1: that'd be amazing. And people, I think that yeah. I think that would probably improve everybody's day yeah
0: they'd be like whoa what is that 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 sounds really interesting let (laughs) yeah please tell me more about it
1: yeah exactly and then you've made a friend yeah um this week's spotlight review comes from 567 who gives us five stars and says cannot recommend enough when i first found the show it was still We've Got Worm. I spent the next seven hours straight listening to it with a goofy grin on my face. The show is a delightful mix of nostalgic recap, bright insight, the vicarious joy of someone experiencing the story for the first time. Even though I had reread Worm multiple times, Matt and Scott's deep dive every episode exposed new sides to the story that never occurred to me before. Following the show definitely deepened my understanding and enjoyment of an excellent story. Now that the show has caught up with Wild Bo's publishing schedule and Ward, Matt and Scott can afford to spend even more time analyzing what Wild Bo is trying to accomplish with each story, beat we've got ward has become an integral part of how i experience ward and i cannot go back i look forward to each episode as much as i look forward to the new chapters that's like the most compliment ever
0: yeah that's that's a lot of responsibility to consider Um, terrified yeah
1: (laughs) the chapters are way better than what we do guys yeah
0: i mean it's (laughs) an it's also an integral part of how i experience ward but in a very different way
1: yeah uh we also got this review from this uh elliot diebold guy (laughs) uh, who gave us five stars and said this is a pretty good podcast. It's no deep and packed, but it's all right, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know what this guy's doing. Uh, oh my god. Sounds like a real jerk.
0: Yeah, wow, wow, wow. Really <laughs> appreciate that, Elliot. Thanks for the praise. Um All right, awesome. Uh well, we're just starting out with uh come with with from within.
1: Whoa, wow. Whoa.
0: Sorry, you wrote you wrote something different. I don't know what to do with this. Let me, let me read this. Sorry, let me try again. Okay. We're just starting to find out what comes from within. So join us next week as we continue to explore this arc.
1: Was that so hard?
0: Well, I wasn't expecting, like, content.
1: You got on my case about forgetting to change it. I change it, and then you're mad at me.
0: I know, but now I'm used to just ad-libbing everything.